I was just um, kind of thinking during the towards the end of the worship, just the desire to encounter the Lord and not to. We don't want to waste meetings. You know, we're not just coming here just to come here. We're coming here to encounter Him. And if we don't encounter Him, what a waste of time. You know, if the if we don't encounter the Lord, what a waste of time. And um, I began to think about how Jesus, you know, when He resurrected, He appeared to the disciples in many different forms. Y'all realize that? Like when He resurrected... He appeared to him a number of times over a period of, um, what was it, period of, I forget, there was a period of time that he appeared to the disciples, and in numerous of the cases, he looked differently to them than he physically looked prior to his death, which is kind of weird if you think about it, but he appeared differently, and I think he did it on purpose. He wanted the disciples to be no longer recognize him after the flesh, but to recognize him after the spirit. And it caught, and it required eyes that saw past the natural. They had to be able to see spiritually. And as I was sitting there, I'm thinking, Lord, where are you? I want to see you today. How are you appearing today that might be different than you appeared last week? Don't let me miss you. You know, and you, when, you, when you read about it in Luke, when Jesus began to walk with two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he's walking up the road, and they didn't recognize him because he appeared in a different form. And they're talking, and then all of a sudden, the Lord starts preaching about himself. And their hearts begin to burn within him because Christ is preaching Christ from the Bible. <laughs> Probably the best sermon of all times. Christ preaching Christ. And when he broke the bread with them, all of a sudden their eyes were open and they realized who it was. Man, I, won't, I don't want to miss the Lord. I want to be able to see him wherever I'm at. The Lord is with us always. He said he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. The question is, do you have eyes to see him? You have eyes to see him when he comes to you on Monday morning through the guy that you don't really like at work. He does that. He does that often. I remember being in 19, I think it was 1995, the Lord started speaking to me about watch nights and about praying through the night, and I started attending uh, Mahesh Chavda's watch night, watch of the Lord. And, and I had a lady at the cafeteria where I, I worked at a building that had its own cafeteria. I was security and um, she, she just served the food. And this lady, as far as I knew, based on her mouth, she was not a believer. <laughs> But I used to have a good time talking to her and joking around with her, and uh, we, you know, we there was a, you know, she was a nice lady. We I considered her, a, you know, we were friendly. And I remember coming up to her one day, and out of the blue, she just she's talking to me, asking me something, and she just stops, and it's like somebody else took over. And she says, "Do you know how to keep watch?" And I said, "What?" 
She's like, do you know how to keep watch? And then, I'm, and then she totally, it's like a, the glazed look went, went off, and, and, she's, and she goes on about a conversation like she had never said that. And I'm like, that was the Lord. That was the Lord. It's just an example. The Lord can speak through anybody to us. You know, Josiah, one of the most righteous kings in Israel, died because he didn't heed the word of the Lord through the Egyptian king who was not a believer. But he had the word of the Lord, and he couldn't hear God speaking through his enemy. And he didn't listen. I don't know why I'm sharing this, but I guess the, the point of why I was sharing this this morning is I want my eyes to open up. I want to have spiritual eyes that I can see the Lord because he's always with us. He's always moving in our midst. It's not always the way we think he's going to come. But the question is, do you have eyes to see him? And the honest answer is, sometimes I don't. But I want to. And I was just thinking about that today. Lord, the Lord always comes. Where two or three are gathered in his midst, there he, when two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. He's always here, but are we seeing him? I want to see him today. How about y'all? Lord, I'm asking that you would... Um, Give us eyes to see him. Give us eyes to see your son. Give us eyes to see you, Father, when you come through your Holy Spirit. Give us eyes to recognize what you're doing always in our life, in our family, in our church services. Lord, we're looking, we're living this life to encounter you daily, our daily bread. And we want to see you daily to see the bread broken daily where we recognize you and we can begin to worship and thank you and enjoy the life of encountering you on a daily basis, Lord. Give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name. Thank you guys for your worship leading. That was awesome. That was all free. That didn't even, that was, we're just getting started. Got Josh this morning. He's Worship leader extraordinaire and preacher now. So, going to do double d- duty. We love this guy. He is a he is a God lover. He's got a heart for God, and uh, I have just over the last four four and a half years of getting to know him. What an awesome awesome brother! And so I know he always has good stuff from the Lord. Lord, we just thank you for everything that you are going to release to us today through our brother. Pour out through him, Lord. Just release your, the heart of heaven, Lord, and everything that you've put inside of him and just release that today. We bless him and his family in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, man. Oh. Such a weird transition from like these two feet. I don't know, and not having a guitar. It's just every time it takes a little bit of getting used to. You ever have a Sunday? Well, maybe some of you have another. I know Travis has experienced this before where, like, your week is just crazy and you didn't have time to prepare a sermon. <laughs> you know? It was one of those weeks for me, but uh, I have really good news. The Holy Spirit lives in every single one of us and it is ready to give an account of who Jesus is. It's able to testify exactly the will of the Father. 
It's able to encourage you, able to encourage your neighbor. The Holy Spirit is within us, able to lead us into all truth. So right now, I could point to any single one of you, and you would be able, by the Holy Spirit, to encourage someone else in this room, someone else at work. Amen? Any takers? <laughs> yeah, any takers. I, be, I believe that. It was so cool as I was listening to Travis. Um, he referenced the story of the, um, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, I was like, you know what? Let's go there. <laughs> Why not? You know, this, I was, uh, as he was talking, I, and I do have a theme. I do want to start off with something that I've been learning. If you've been here for the past couple of weeks, you've heard me sing and make reference to this idea of surrender, to make reference to this idea of it, it, the fire won't fall on what? An empty altar. Fire will not fall on the altar, which means if you look through scripture, there's so many different places where sacrifices are happening. You know, animals, even Abraham was called to lay down Isaac. And you can read throughout, you know, in a sense, Jesus laid his life down on the altar of the cross for all of us. And we're called to pick up our cross. And I'll read you a couple of scriptures about that. But it was interesting, even that theme of of laying our lives down came, it hit me in the face when, when Travis was talking about this story of the two disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus. And, you know, they get to the place where Jesus pretends to go on and they're like, no, 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 come with us. And, they, and Jesus is like, okay. And he goes to their house. You know, anybody familiar with this story? We're going to read it just, just to get there. But I guess what I want to say is the theme I've been learning as of late is that Christianity, our faith in Jesus and our life in Jesus, isn't about a better life. It's about a surrendered life. Amen? Our walk with the Lord, our yes to Jesus is a yes, I surrender. I heard a preacher one time say, if the whole point of you saying yes to Jesus was to get you to heaven, then why doesn't he bring a shotgun to the altar with him? Just to go ahead and take you out as soon as you say yes. Because no, there's a element, there's a life of learning to surrender. And it's interesting that, that uh, when Travis mentioned this, it, it hit me. Um, they go, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 right now. And uh, let me see where it begins here. This is really improper. Normally I'd have my notes and my references already not already mapped out, but I apologize. Um, okay, here it goes. So in verse 29 it says, And they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And, he, and it came about that when he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. We read that story, and we're like, oh, that's cool. I've known that one before. Now, put yourself in this situation. A guest comes to your house, helps himself to your food, he breaks your bread, 
He prepares your meal. He prays his prayer, acting like you're the guest, and he's the one who owns the house. In this culture, it was absolutely uncustomary for a guest to break the bread of the house of the people who owned it. That seems kind of weird in our culture, right? And that culture is like, no, like that is breaking some sort of tradition. But yet Jesus comes in and acts like he owns the place. And the people whose home it is have no problem with it. When our lives are surrendered to Jesus, he's the one who breaks the bread. When our lives are surrendered to Jesus, we become the guests and he becomes the owner. When our lives are surrendered to Jesus, every aspect of our lives, though it may look the same, the why behind it is completely different. It's all to the glory of Jesus. I just love this picture because there's so many people who have said yes to Jesus, but yet put him at the guest seat in their lives. There's a lot of us who say yes to Jesus, but we like to invite him over. Maybe he can make our house look a little bit better, hang a couple of pictures on the wall, you know, maybe do like an interior decoration thing kind of deal. Right, Miriam? Ginger. <laughs> well, I know you too. Sometimes y'all come around and you do take over when you do your interior decorating. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? A life surrendered says, Jesus, you come in and you are sitting at the head of the table of my life. And all that I am and all that I do from this point on is for your glory. All that I am and all that I do is to see your name glorified in all of the earth. You see, they probably went back to work the next day, but their work took on a completely different meaning. Now they are working for the one who is sitting at the seat of honor in their lives. They're not working for themselves anymore. They're not working for a paycheck. They're not working for all these other things. They're working because they realize that there is one who sits at the head of the table of their lives. And everything's different. Is Jesus sitting at the guest seat of your life? Or is he sitting at that place where he gets to break the bread and call the shots? And that question will pose itself to us in some, some pretty cool ways and some challenging ways. It'll... It'll pose itself to us if you read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he tells you to turn the other cheek. What? If Jesus is sitting in the guest seat, you ain't turning the other cheek. Right? If Jesus is sitting in the guest seat, you're not walking the extra mile. If Jesus is sitting in the guest seat, you're not going to bless those who curse you. There is a natural response to having our lives absolutely surrendered to the Lord. Well, we're not just asking God or Jesus and our faith and our prayers are not always about our lives becoming better. 
Do you think it's a better life to have two cheeks that hurt instead of just one? Anybody? <laughs> in, in a sense, it's, no, it's, it's not better, but we're not living for better. But it's better because the inside of us knows that I don't care about what my cheeks feel like. I'm living for the glory of the one who gave it all for me. And I will give him nothing less than my all. And I will ask him to, in, to bring light to every part of my life that is not absolutely surrendered to his lordship in my life. I'm reminded of the story. Julia is here. Hey, Julia. She was telling us a story about uh, uh, some paint in the house. Thing. There, there were some painters. Do you mind if I tell this story, Julia? That's cool. It spoke to us so much at home group one night. And it just it, it rings true here. From what I understand, it, she had this idea of what the walls of the house were going to look like with this certain kind of paint on them. And the painters came in with the wrong paint or the wrong shade, and it wasn't exactly what it was. The point of the story was, she said, the Lord or the Holy Spirit said to her, I want you to be more concerned about the painters than the paint. That is a life with Jesus sitting at the head of the table. Isn't that incredible? I mean, just sharing that story again was so powerful. Because how many of us would have pitched a fit about it? I'm not saying getting walked all over, but there, I am saying care more about the painters than the paint. A couple of weeks ago, I, sp- I shared a message where I was talking about the potpourri and caring more about Roy than the potpourri in the church. Like, this is what we're called to. This is the gospel changing the way we live our lives. This is Jesus being the one who sits at the seat of honor and who's calling all the shots for his glory and for his kingdom to come and for the Father to, be, to receive all that is due him. So it might come to you in the form of painters and paint. I read this story. Uh, last time I spoke, I was reading a book called uh, Sit, Walk, Stand. I read a story in that book about a, uh, a Chinese gentleman that was going through a drought. And he had to do this like um, treadmill thing to get water for his crop. He had to like get on this bike and somehow it brought water to his crop. But his neighbor below him found a way to like dig a little trench so all the water that he had made for his crop it like went down to his crop and did his hard work and this guy was a believer who was doing it and it happened two or three times so he went to his brothers and he said what do I do about this guy he keeps on stealing my water every time and you know he's like should I confront him should I yell at him he said our brother said what you should do is in the morning Treadmill enough water for his field, and in the afternoon, treadmill enough water for your field. That's not right. <laughs> so it happened as, as he did as he said, and the man who had been stealing the water, so convicted by what had just taken place, by this man's response that he acquired, why would a man who I've been taking advantage of, pumped double water so that my crop could be filled. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am called to walk out the life that he's called me to live. And this man, the, the, thief, the water thief, became a believer because of this 
life, this choice to live completely differently, to live with one who Jesus is sitting at the head of the table. Isn't that powerful? Just when you hear that, it's powerful. It, can, it might even give you some, some goosebumps. It might even make you feel a little bit of emotional. But if that's all it does, the power of that story stays trapped right here. We, we have to get to that place where Jesus is no longer the guest and we live out that same reality outside the four walls of the church. We, we live out that reality in our homes. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid down his life. What? I thought I got married so my wife could like lay down her life for me and make my life a lot easier. What? All throughout, you see Jesus and you hear in the Gospels and you hear through the letters and you see it in their lives and you read it in their writings. Lay down your life. I'm going to hit a popular verse. It's in uh, Romans chapter 12, y'all. It was so interesting. I was reading, we read the Bible every night with, uh, with Micah May, and uh, we read the story about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And it, you could just tell that four years old, she was like, there is something really crazy about this story. <laughs> Like you could just even in her four year old wheels spinning like whoa he's he was like she said their feet are stinky I was like yeah how do you know that your feet are stinky <laughs> but even in a four year old mind this picture of Jesus the Savior taking on the form of a servant it says he came not to be served but to serve right. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. As a worship leader, that one has been a dagger, a sweet Holy Spirit conviction dagger. You know what I mean? Those ones that you're like, oh, wow. It's kind of you looking in the mirror, like, oh, man. Didn't see that before. And I believe that the Lord has been speaking to me is that one of the greatest deceptions of our day is to convince the church that worship is singing a song and not laying down their lives. Because there's a lot of great music out there. And there's a lot of amazing stages. I mean, if you can see, I think, I mean, I'm grateful for, for some of that stuff. But to go into a service where we sing a song without a life laid down is not worship. You can still sing a song in worship, don't get me wrong. But without a life and absolute surrender to Jesus, at best it might be a moment of emotional inspiration. 
Maybe you're in that scene and you look around, you're like, wow, why are these people so crazy? And you're like, I want to give my life to Jesus. That's fine. But to, to, to live in such a way where we can lift our hands and lift our voice, but still hate, stay white and knuckled, clenched fists to our own lives and our own way and what's right and care more about the paint than we do the painter, to care more about our field getting watered than the person who's stealing it, to care more about our cheek not being... You see where I'm going with this? That is a life surrendered, a living sacrifice, an offering that breathes. And I believe when the church sings from that position of surrender... That is the offering that the Lord absolutely swoops down and consumes. We pray this prayer all the time. Lord, we Holy Spirit fire fall. Lord, consume us. God, you are an all-consuming fire. And we, he won't consume our songs, though. He'll consume our lives. He'll consume whatever it is that's in your hand that you don't let go of. That's what he wants to consume. I love y'all. <laughs> I say this. I'm, I'm preaching to myself too. I say this every week. But this, this is this is this is what he's after. This is what he's after. You know what? Sometimes we hold on to. I'm talking to Joshua right now. Sometimes I hold on to ministry because I need that ministry validation for whatever reasons in my life. And the Lord's like, no, I want to be your validation. And until you can be validated just resting in what I've done for you, that ministry is never going to be or have the eternal fruit and impact that you want it to. There's an interesting story where in the Old Testament, uh, who was it, Moses had the bronze serpent. He lifted up on the pole. You guys know this story? rose up the bronze serpent and actually like brought salvation and healing to the people because they had gotten into some sin and they had to look at this thing and it was, yeah, God, the bronze serpent, great idea. Generations later, you know what had happened? They had taken that bronze serpent, put it into the temple and started worshiping the bronze serpent and burning, burning incense to the serpent. I believe it was Hezekiah destroyed the bronze serpent, because it had become something that Israel had begun to worship and not God. It had begun to be something that they were paying offering to, and they weren't offering it to the Lord anymore. They were actually offering it to something that God told them to do and not offering it to God himself. (laughs) That threw me for a loop there. I'm like, why would he destroy that? That's what happened. In my life, I've seen my life get consumed by this need to perform in the sense, and it doesn't have to be ministry. It could be your job. It could be, you know, the pat on the back for being a good parent, all these things. The Lord wants every area of your life absolutely consumed by his voice and his validation that you are good and that you are loved and that you are a son, that you are a daughter, and to stop looking at all the things that you're doing and not doing and look to his son Jesus and say he's done it all. And from that place, I surrender all. And then from that place, I go out into all the earth. Go over 
Hebrews 12 with me. Oh, I'm going to stop preparing sermons more often. This is flowing pretty good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I can I confess something to you all. Even in that, in that what I just shared, like, I was, I was petrified that I was going to disappoint you all today. Isn't that crazy? I was so afraid that I was going to stand up here and just bring a dud. You know? <laughs> and Lord, I mean, just even in that, just like I just feel the pleasure of God, just the trust. There's nothing wrong with prayer. I, I, I read my Bible, but I, sometimes I get caught up trying to read my Bible so I can teach people something instead of live it. <laughs> Love you, Mondo. Yeah. And I found out when I read this thing, because I believe the riches of how to live an abundant life are in it. And I'm not caught up in making sure I know every Greek and Hebrew. I, mean, I love that stuff. Don't get me wrong. But the why behind it is because this thing. I know Rayleigh and Melissa were going through something. And they were really hard and down about something. And Melissa shared with our, our home group, I read this psalm and it changed everything for me in a moment. The power of the word of God when you're reading it to actually impact your life. Whoo, that's the place that you teach from right there. That place where this word is life and it's living and you can be in a dark spot and read a single verse of Psalms. And all of a sudden, poof, it's all good. Jesus is on the throne. I will not despair. My God will see me through. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Like all these, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't just read this thing out of duty. Don't just read this thing to check off something off of your bucket, or your, not your bucket list, your whatever, your, your Christian list. This thing will bring Conviction, it'll bring comfort, it'll lead you into all truth. It is living, and words written thousands of years ago can land on a soft heart and produce a forest of fruit. Isn't that powerful? So I'm sorry that I I I allowed myself to be motivated by your approval this morning and by my desire to. I don't know, impress you all or not let you down. I love you all and I do want to encourage you and I pray that's what's happening by the Spirit of the Lord in me. So therefore, and I'm sorry, verse 28 in Hebrews 12, I love this verse. It says, Therefore, since we received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. And then it always hit me funny. Why does it say verse 29? It feels like it's completely out of place. It's like an afterthought. Oh, by the way, our God is a consuming fire. Oh, good to know. What? It hit me the other day, duh. <laughs> it's God, the consuming fire, that consumes this acceptable offering of servants, of reverence and all that we're bringing. Again, fire will not fall on an empty altar. And the fire that we are talking about is God, the all-consuming fire. So therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service 
with reverence and awe for our God is the consuming fire that will lap up that beautiful service that we have just laid down before him. That's why that's there. I love this whole next section. It's called The Changeless Christ. It's just really beautiful. You all should read it. I read this a couple weeks ago, and I'm just going to end with this, this thought, kind of land this thing where we were. I remember Travis was sharing something, and I was sitting right here a couple weeks ago, and I read this, and I felt like it was a word for the church. And I just felt the Holy Spirit like I was... It was probably bad audio on the podcast because it was probably like this right here, me trying to talk because I was shaking. I felt the, the physical presence of the Holy Spirit in such a strong way when I read this. In 13, verse 15, it says, Through him then, let us continually, through who? The, the changeless, beautiful Christ. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. That's it. We are the offering. We are the offering. Okay, I lied to you. I want to end with one other thing. I'm not even going to talk on that one. I think we've driven that one home enough. I just want to end with this. This is kind of it. Kind of goes along with the idea of sacrifice. Um, I just feel like this is a word that I've been really feeling strongly for our church. Um, at the end of, if you're in my home group, you could probably leave right now because you hear this scripture every Wednesday night. But uh, go to Acts chapter two, and uh, you know the Holy Spirit had just fallen, and uh, Peter, much like myself, is speaking extemporaneously without much, you know, sermon note preparation, and he delivers the sermon that causes thousands to become Christians and saved and baptized and really kickstarts the church in a, in a strong way here. But it goes into this beautiful description of the early church. And I just want so badly for you all to get a, a, a glimpse of this. I've been at Morningstar now for like 10 years or so. And I have seen a weakness. <laughs> and the weakness I've seen is in the word continually. <laughs> continually has seemed to be a, an issue for people. Whether we don't feel like that doing it time after time after time just loses some of its luster. We get bored. Maybe another thing comes up that's more exciting and flashy and we stop continually doing what we were doing and go do something else. Maybe we get offended. I've seen a lot of people get offended. Offense will absolutely wreck your choice to continually do something in the church especially. 
I want you to hear the word continually and continue as we read Acts chapter 2, verse, verses 42 through the end of the chapter. This is kind of a vision for our home group, and I believe it's a solid vision for any, any believers. And it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, comma, so that means you can put continually to the next word. And they were continually devoting themselves to fellowship. Comma. And they were continually devoting themselves to the breaking of bread. And they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Is that fair? That continually applies to all the words after each comma. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe as many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Now, how is that possible? Look around around this room. Do you think you have all things in common with everybody in this room right now? And I realize that all things here is when it comes to when we know, like Travis was saying earlier, when we know one another by the Spirit, when we know each other by the Spirit, we have all things in common. Because the Spirit in you is the Spirit in me. And the Spirit in you is the Spirit of Joe. And the Spirit of Joe is the same, it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's in us. When it comes down to what really matters in eternity... We have all things in common. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing book called The Screwtape Letters, where this young disciple or this young kid just got saved, and he realizes now that he's following Jesus, he needs to go to the church for the first time. So he goes into a crickety old church that smells kind of funky, and he looks over, and he just looks around the room, and he sees the old guy dressed a lot weirder than he would ever dress. And he sees the person over here who smells kind of weird. And he sees the lady over there singing out of key. And he sees all this stuff like, these are my people? <laughs> and the whole idea of the book is that, uh, is this uncle demon trying to teach his nephew demon how to like deter somebody from the church. And he said, make sure that they believe that Everything on the surface is all that there is to the church. Make sure that the sights and the smells and the crickety old building, make sure that's what he thinks is the church. Because if that's where he is, then he will abandon it very quickly. And his continue will basically fizzle. Do not allow him to know that the spirit of that person, that man who smells a little funny, has been contending for revival and prayer for generations and generations. Don't, don't let him know that the spirit of God, who was that woman singing out of key, delivered her from drugs and alcohol addiction, and she is a singing testimony of the, glory, of the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let him know any of that stuff. Just let him know that all those things on the surface is all there is. Because if you can do that, you will convince them that you have nothing in common with these people and probably trick them up. Isn't that good? Know each other by the Spirit. Verse 45, And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. 
Don't touch my money. Right? <laughs> I think that's powerful. I love the idea that the money that I have is just the money that God has given me to manage. It's his money. It's his money. And it's amazing how the things that God blessed us with can become idols in our hands. One of the things I love about giving money is not necessarily the idea that somehow God's going to bless me ten times more than what I gave. But I am actually violating a spirit that's trying to get me to love money when I give it away. And the hook of that thing actually comes out. The reward of me giving money, don't, don't get me wrong, God has done amazing things like we heard with Travis. And he's done the same thing in my life. But the Lord isn't so much after the big, the big picture isn't making our, our bank accounts fatter. It's about taking out any hook that could potentially cause us to love money. And I heard this quote online, uh, this Christian finance guy. Somebody asked him, how much money is too much money? How much money is too much money? How much, you know, is there like a set number that a Christian should kind of stop at? You know? <laughs> and he said, any amount of money that causes you to stop trusting God is too much money. That's awesome. Right? If it's $100 and all of a sudden you got... A one with two zeros, and you're thinking, okay, I don't got to pray anymore. I got, I'm, I'm more lock. I'm good. $100 is too much for you. The amount of money that causes you to stop trusting the Lord is too much money. I believe that. That's not scriptural, but I'm sure you could find a way to make it scriptural. But I believe it. <laughs> I'm sure there's a way. There you go. I, lo- I love it. Check it out. And day by day, here it is again, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. Again, this is one of those situations where there's the word continuing and a bunch of commas. Okay. So you got to do that. Continuing with one mind in the temple, continuing breaking bread house to house, continuing taking meals together with gladness, continuing with a sincerity of heart, praising God, continuing having favor with all people. And I love this one because this is how I was talking to Deborah Blanchard the other day. She saw, I was seeing in their home group, people actually getting saved, like coming to Jesus Lives transformed, surrendered, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, lives changed. And it says this, and the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. That takes some surrender. We lead a home group, and let me tell you, with four kids every Wednesday, it takes some surrender. I'm not patting myself on the back because there's many a night where Brittany and I are like, let's just cancel tonight. It's been a long day. But I realized that my children see the sacrifice we're making. And even if no one shows up, they realize that we place a value on the word continually. We place a value even when things seem to be going wrong that we continually maintain a sincerity of heart and giving thanks 
continually. We live in this weird conference culture where we get a buzzword and it's cool for a weekend or two, but the continually falls off. And I do believe the word continually is something that is going to require us for the joy, like Jesus, for the joy set before him endured the cross. There is a joy set before us and it is knowing one another's fellowship of the spirit of his, his spirit within us. There's power in that. So I encourage you all, read that end of Acts chapter 2. Pray that. It's going to require a little bit of sacrifice to make this happen. It's, gonna, it's uncomfortable sometimes. Our house isn't always in good shape. Sometimes it smells a little weird because we have toddlers who are still potty training. I encourage you, invite people in. Do this. Do this. Do the continual thing. And I believe in that context, we will see the miracles, signs, wonders. I believe in that context, we will see the lost safe because they're looking at people in this room that somehow all get along and love each other. That's miraculous for this day and age. Amen? Right, let me just uh, let's just stand together. I'll pray and let Travis take this thing over. Lord, the best way that we know how we 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 put our hands out, we lift our hands, whatever it is, Lord, just as a sign, Lord, that we want to live absolutely surrendered to you, God. That there are there is no area of our lives that's off limits, because Jesus, there was no area of your life that was off limits when it came to redeeming us. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made to give us life. Lord, may every aspect of our life be focused on bringing glory to you, to living out on earth as it is in heaven everywhere we go. Thank you, Lord, that your way is the better way, and we choose to follow you everywhere you go. Let this city be transformed by lives continually surrendered to you. Let this city be transformed by people who love one another more than they love themselves. Lord, we do ask for for miracles, signs, and wonders to take place in our homes, in our businesses, everywhere that we go, in our grocery stores. We pray, Lord, that we would see the end of Acts 2 in our lives, that daily you would add to the number of those who are being saved. Amen.